All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Once again, I do not have an intro or theme song for you yet, so bear with me here. I also have a cold, so bear with that, too. <clears throat> so... Welcome back, episode 22. First full episode back. Since our last episode was the group episode, this is the first full one-on-one interview since the return. But this guest is somebody that you have met if you listen to that group episode. Joining me for this episode is someone I have to say just like... I instantly connected with. I met her last episode, but she's just lovely. The work she does is so incredibly important, and I don't want to butcher any of her many titles, so I actually have her website open in front of me. She is a certified clinical trauma specialist. She specializes in trauma and addiction. She herself says she had a pretty non-traditional way of getting into this field, but she has a fascinating take on mental health and addiction and society and an awful lot of things. I think you're really going to love this interview and this woman. Please help me welcome somebody who I truly just adore now. And that is Bianca Stefina. It's the way you carry yourself. The way your eyes smile back at me makes me Same thing as before, however you feel most comfortable. Sure. Obviously, I'm quite used to talking on a mic now, so. I listened to you the other morning, and oh. I was like, you're so cute. What were you talking about? Oh, you were talking about Beyonce, something about Beyonce. I'm always talking about Beyonce. War. She was late. So your voice sounds so good on the air, and oh, it was really funny to you. you. It flowed so nicely, though, but good. I was like, like fangirl. I'm like, I know that girl. <laughs> Stop it. I'm happy to have you. My first, like, official guest back. I'm excited. Thank yeah. you for, like, believing in me to have me here. Are you kidding me? I'm so happy to have you here. And I think it will be helpful if we format it like this. So I think what I'll do is I'm going to ask you some kind of basic questions about yourself first because we don't really know each other yeah. that well. And then we will move into what you do, how you got into it, sure. your story there. This is so no pressure, chill, the most relaxed interview, I promise. <laughs> I yes. try to make everybody, like, I promise you. Sadie it's was so like, chill. are you nervous? I'm like, no, Tori does a really good job at like <laughs> like making it really relaxed and making it flow really nicely. That's what I said. She's like, are you Thank nervous? You. I'm like, no, like Tori's like, it's like having a conversation with a friend over a drink. That's what we want. In radio, that's what you want. But I always hope that like with the podcast that comes off too. So far, I felt like it has. And I'm, I think that I do a pretty good job with this kind of stuff. That's, I yes, do. you do. I'm proud of that. <laughs> I love that. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. So um, again, basic questions because we don't really know each other. How old are you? 27. 27. Wow. You've done a lot of it. 27. 27. Yeah, good for you. Okay, where did you grow up? In this area or? So I grew up in Windsor, Ontario. Never left. <laughs> um, I've like grown up in like East Windsor. So mm-hmm. I went to school in St. Joe's. I went grade school in Windsor and East Windsor. So I've never really left. Okay. Your family? Are you close with your family? Your parents? Are they yes. together? Are they happy? <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, That's a big one. I know. <laughs> am I close with my family? I'm incredibly close with my family. Mm-hmm. The reason I am the person I am today is because of my parents, my sister, 
My sister is literally my right-hand woman. I have her tattooed on my right hand. And wow. so, yeah, so she is literally my best friend. Um, she's a nurse-to-be. Uh, she graduates this year, but has been working in ER for the last three years. So she's mm. been doing really well for herself as well. But she is absolutely my best friend. Mm. My parents and I are incredibly close. Okay. My parents are together. And I think when I sit down with clients and I say to them, you know what, when I'm explaining a lot of things, because I do a lot of attachment-based, I do a lot mm. of intergenerational and trauma exploration. Yeah. I really truly believe in conditioning. And you know from the first time I've ever filmed with you, and you'll hear my view of mental health. I have such a different view of mental health, and it's backed up by some really incredible doctors. But speaking on that, I think that a lot of us come from families that had their own stuff, right? When we look at our generation, then Mm -hmm. we look at our parents' generation, right? It kind of like all trickles down. And some of the things like emotional neglect, emotional trauma, getting our needs met, feeling accepted, connected, et cetera, those weren't really things growing up for our parents. And then we see their own mental health and it comes out in their parenting styles, not Mm -hmm. because they're horrible people, Mm -hmm. because they're human. Yeah. I mean, I like to say that within my family and, and there's stuff that I'm still kind of figuring out and the older you get the more you kind of understand why your adult parents made the moves they did yes. when you were young um, and I've said this before that like whether my mom knows it or not I have all of this like appreciation not even forgiveness but appreciation for what she yes. was a lot of it was just survival yes. and I understand that now but at the time I always felt like I was um, I always say like not troubled I wasn't a troubled kid but I was purposely troubling for her so I felt and it had to do with a lot of being in a household where um, there was a lot of comparison ah. I was in a step family with oh, uh, yeah I'm the youngest of four sisters by like like my oldest sister's 10 years older than me but then in my step family I'm directly in the middle I'm the second oldest it was just really complicated so it felt and so I I say that like there was a lot of comparison even to this day I find whether our parents know that they do it or not it was it was direct and it was frustrating and it's it is what it is now and whatever (laughs) it fragments our self-esteem right and our parents don't do it intentionally and a lot of the things that our parents did or the way that they parented was not intentional Mm -hmm. also the data wasn't out like it's out now right so we know that we need to be nurtured we need to be accepted for who we are and that wasn't out then it was still like the cried out method right like you leave them to cry but now the data is showing us that that's very wrong right and kids need to be known that they're going to be seen they're going to be heard and their needs are going to be met to form that consistent attachment which can then lead them into the world and exploring themselves feeling safe etc when uh we were doing the group episode I had asked everybody to um fill out the form and something that you put in here was social media addiction yes um yeah we're we're just gonna skip right past all the other stuff you know this is good well well, this is all gonna come full circle I'm sure but social media addiction um I will just say what I have learned within the past year in particular I will also say within the past few years especially being on air because I look at other radio hosts or whatever people who feel as though well I feel as though I'm in a box and all the time I'm saying I want to be like myself on my social media and I want to have fun but then I also say well I have this role and I can't openly you know be the way I want to be all the time and that's but that's you know life um so lately when I find myself having these like identity crises I now know that I have to get off social media yes and I do have a little bit of an out because I get to use Mix's social media still, which is nice because I can still be connected in a way. Yes. And um, I can see some things, but it's become less about I want to see what other people are up to and it's become more about I want to prove something or I want to be doing something. And it's just, it's so interesting. And there's this line that even within, I'm telling you, within the past few months that like I've just been like, I'm not in a good place. I need to not give so much of myself 
hence why the podcast paused, hence why I was kind of backing off of social media for yes. a while. I actually have to write down to message people because that's how bad I am with my social media now. I have all my notifications off. I can't do it. And it's just I appreciate it within myself that I can do that. But so the addiction part of it. Speak to it. <laughs> wow. Okay. There's so much here, right? So I talked about this a lot when I worked at Youth Diversion as well with youth. The kind of, mm. It's so funny too when youth come in my office and she's like, me and my brother were fighting. And he said, the way I'm like this is because of my laptop. And I looked at her. I go, girl, he's not wrong. And she like rolls her eyes. But like it's okay. So when we look at this, okay. So social media essentially gives us fabricated dopamine. It mm-hmm. gives us, it's mechanically, I guess, produced dopamine. Mm-hmm. So now our dopamine receptors are fried. It takes a lot more stimuli to get us feeling into that natural sense of dopamine and we're finding ourselves distracted we're seeing a lot more adhd and add symptoms of not being able to concentrate because each time that we break our concentration or our flow to check our phone or Mm -hmm. notifications or messages Mm -hmm. we're actually breaking that flow okay and when we break that flow you know we're not staying on task and it's really hard for our brain to get back into that and i think that's really interesting and dr gabor talks about this there's a lot of people that talk about this and how detrimental it really is to our generation and the generation above. I went to a commercial gym for the first time and I was horrified by how many people in between sets were just like face down on their phone. Yeah. Like people don't walk and talk anymore. When you're sitting on the bus, you're not looking around. You're not Eye mindful. Not a thing anymore. I and know. at gyms too, I will, sorry to cut you off, but I will say that is something that I noticed and I have just recently started going back to the gym yes. within the past couple months. I will, about a month. And I'm looking around and I'm always running so I'm always kind of distracting myself on purpose yes. and looking at things and looking at people and I'm people watching and they probably hate it but I feel like at the gym it's almost like a defense mechanism yes you're well, doing something there, vulnerable okay, you're but there you yourself go, but there you go too right so how many people when you don't know what to do while you're out or there's an awkward situation you pull out your phone and start phone. scrolling yeah. right but that also translates to at the end of a hard night at work and I'm fully addicted to my phone I will be completely honest <laughs> with you no it's bad yeah. it's affecting my relationship I've mm. talked openly about this with clients it's something I'm actively working on mm. but you know how many of us at the end of the night will go home and scroll before connecting or we're gonna yeah. it was so funny when I was teaching psych so I teach psychology for St. Clair mm-hmm. and the CYC program we were going through the DSM-5 just some of the diagnoses and we were talking about a little thing or two about DSM-5 oh my god don't <laughs> get me started their reflection question if any of my students are listening to this one I miss you two I'm sorry about your final marks blackboard was awful but three um, we were going through internet addiction disorder so they huh. put it in the DSM-5 but then they pulled it because they wanted to do some different things with it but essentially some of the stipulations were like checking your phone first thing in the morning having the urge to check your phone while driving bringing your phone to the bathroom with you and I I looked at all of my students I'm like we all meet the criteria for internet addiction disorder our whole society does how many my you know what and my partner pointed out the other day he goes Bianca you picked up your phone and checked your email before you even said good morning to me Mm -hmm. and I was like oh my god you are so right Mm -hmm. we are replacing physical connection and actual meaningful relationships with you know, digital relationships. And some of the top psychologists, neuroscientists, they designed these apps. They're not stupid. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they know it's the same technology that goes into gambling and Vegas casinos. It keeps us coming back for more. They know the reward system within our brain. (laughs) And they know that when we're triggered or when we're anxious, society keeps us anxious. It keeps us in fight or flight. We're going to reach for something. We're going to mitigate from that feeling. And that's going to be scrolling or connecting with somebody. You know, it's, it's just, it's so like, it's so blended into our society that nobody even looks at it. It's, you know, like it's not even a thing. And now I've become more aware. And even with my teen clients, I'll say, okay, phone goes away face down. Mm -hmm. And I was just in training in Arizona and the doctor was telling me that 
when clients are not engaging there's therapists that actually pick up their phone and will start scrolling waiting for their client to like come to and I (laughs) was horrified I don't even my phone's face down in my sessions Mm -hmm. like you know even in schools though when I worked in the school board as well I was also really flabbergasted to how young kids were having phones grade ones grade twos and also how much teachers were on their phones attendance was done on their phone think about when we were in grade school phones at school were for emergencies only you went to the office to call home and teachers they went to the office to call their spouses or if there was an emergency they'd step out of the classroom and that was unheard of yeah teachers are now and I don't blame them because there's a lot going on there's also a lot of work they do on their phone but when kids are doing silent work I've seen teachers on their phones I was guilty for it when Mm -hmm. I was supplying when my kids are just chilling and there's nothing really to do I was the first to like pull out my phone and start scrolling and I was like how wrong is this yeah it's so interesting because even the motion of scrolling is very premeditated oh my god so I have to say it is it absolutely is so I actually so if anyone's listening to and you want kind of like to start playing around with putting down your social I urge you to move around your apps okay so I deleted my Ah. Instagram Tori and I was such in a pattern this is such a built neural pathway it's such an automatic unconscious response to stress Mm -hmm. that as soon as I was feeling anxious I literally went to go click on my Instagram but it wasn't there there was no conscious awareness of my I deleted my Instagram app it was totally unconscious to the point where I stopped my finger when I went to go point I was like oh my god it's there yeah it's it's unconscious it's completely unconscious it's fascinating it's so fascinating and these people are smart tech is smart I'm trying to remember this was a couple years ago that I read this article and it had something to do with um I don't know if it was Twitter I think it was Twitter it was like when they added that the sound when you pull to when you're on your page you and go. you refresh it and it makes that little like sound really quick yep the person who like created that came out and started talking about all of the psychology behind the reward system the whatever like and how gambling. when you swipe from top to bottom it's like a serotonin but when you go bottom to it makes you feel like you're out of the know or something like that and how they purposely they know what they're doing there's a reason all your the most prominent information is at the top and then you get into algorithms and everything gets oh all my god up. And, and then also tracking eye movements as well that too. right tracking facial right are you smiling are you laughing and yeah. i think the biggest thing for me and we're also then we're shortening our window of tolerance essentially like how much stress we can handle as yeah. well and we're going through so many different emotions mm-hmm. in such a short amount of time and my boyfriend again love him he's like really <laughs> on my social media addiction calling on my behavior sometimes I'm defensive but we need that right he yeah. goes you went from laughing to crying to oh my god devastated was in the TikTok? span of three TikTok in yep. the span of three minutes yep. and I was like holy shit like I'm I'm a big emotional regulation person mm-hmm. I'm working on regulating my emotions but I'm allowing technology and like fabricated emotions to take a hold of my whole like entire well-being so fascinating this is uh, yeah it, this is everything it's like you're putting words to the kind of things where I've been like wait a minute why am I because I, I Seriously, I watch TikTok and I am crying. It's the audio, honestly. And I know that there's a big correlation between your emotions and audio. It's one of the strongest senses in that regard when it comes to your emotions and stuff. But I I will know if I hear like the beginning of a certain kind of audio, Mm -hmm. like that piano, that slow piano. And I know that like I can't do this right now. But I a lot of the time I get caught into these. I am laughing harder than I've ever laughed before. And I am crying over something that would normally never face me. Also, too, when you're out for dinner with friends and they don't give you that same like laughing or that same sense of dopamine right then we're losing connection and we're hunting more with technology and we're seeing a lot more isolation as well and I was Mm. I downloaded TikTok at the beginning of the pandemic and I remember thinking oh this sucks that I can't go out but you know what I'm just gonna lay in bed and scroll and I started looking forward to it like (laughs) like literally scrolling and it's become a thing and it's like so so toxic and we can go into the unconscious comparison and also keeping Mm. us in fight or flight mode right Mm -hmm. 
our brain is always searching for somebody who's doing better, something to compare ourselves to. And when we're being exposed, not even influencers, but the people around us, different yeah. people in our fields, how come that therapist is making that? How come she's launched this course? Sure. How how are these people going on vacation when I'm, I own my own business? I own two, and I can't, you know, I can't yeah. right now. All of those things, and I think I spoke out about it on my Instagram, and I I got literally thirty people, acquaintances, responding to my stories, and this was like post panic attack. I was like tripping over my words, but I'm like I need to be vulnerable and I need to send an example for the people that need to hear this. Mm-hmm. Thirty people responded to that message saying, Bianca, I am struggling so much right now with social media and my relationship with mm. it. Thank you. Also, too, if you find yourself scrolling in the morning and then you can't get out of bed because you're depressed, no, your dopamine depleted. Okay, yeah. yes, absolutely, depression is absolutely a thing, and I hear you could very well be struggling with depression. Sure. But for me, I was always like, oh, my depression, my depression. No, Bianca, you scrolled for 30 minutes, depleted your dopamine receptors. Nothing is going to give you that same boost, so nothing is going to seem worth it. Sure. So you're going to stay in bed. Sure, and that's what, I mean, I can't make this blanket statement with absolute confidence, but I have found that for me and a lot of the people I talk to, what is the most depressed pressing thought is always that like it's never going to get better than this or I'm never going to feel better than I did the best is behind me or I have nothing to look forward to that kind of stuff so I mean how do you not have that kind of mentality when you wake up in the morning and that's the first thing you do and I'm totally guilty of this too oh my God. especially because I wake up at a time where nobody else is yes, awake so. yes so what do you do you scroll I'm sure I, like you catch up right because if you go to bed so early bad. do you catch up on the things that you missed the night before I mean, in a way yeah especially because I gotta be up and I gotta be reporting and or yep. not, you know, oh, entertaining and talking about whatever happened like I did not stay up for the Grammys this year but I woke up like I went to bed being okay with that knowing full and well that I was gonna a big part of my tomorrow morning was gonna be waking up and seeing did Beyonce make history? Who won this? Blah, 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 blah. So like I look forward to that. And in those instances, it doesn't feel toxic and it almost gets me out of bed. But I think that's because that's my part of your work. That's part of my what I enjoy because I know that my day is about to be easy and my yes. entertainment side of me is about to flow way better than it yes. will like on today, for example, and there's Friday. Positives. There's so many positives to social media as sure, well, right? Yeah. There is, but it's all you about your relationship with it. And that's like any substance, right? And you're going to yeah. hear my, my take on addiction, which is very untraditional than mm-hmm. you know than I guess the average western pathogenic approach but it's really not about what you're using it's about what you're using it for and how it's affecting you yeah right and that goes yeah. with anything drugs alcohol yeah. binging pornography social media yes okay so alcohol has been a question for me lately um not a question per se, but I have a counselor who I adore. Her name is Wendy. Wendy Gaddy. Love her. Love um, that for you. She's fantastic. She's a social worker. She's amazing. But Wendy and I, uh, I recently saw her and like recounted a bunch of stuff. We went through a bunch of incidents where I was uncomfortable or this or happened and blah, blah, blah. And she said, what's the underlying thing in all of this? And I love when people just ask you blunt questions that you need to be like, I know, okay, my bad. But she said, what's the underlying thing here? And I was like, alcohol, I get it. I get like, I get what you're saying. And since then, I don't want to say I've like stopped drinking or that I've uh, drank less than I was or whatever the instance is, but I just think of it differently. Yes. If that makes sense. Oh my God. I could say so much about this too. Okay. So <laughs> I, and again, too, what's all over our billboards? What's pushing our faces, right? Yeah. Partying, alcohol. Yeah. The, when you need to feel social, what are you doing? Oh my God. We're anxious, right? I'm yeah. anxious. What am I going to do? I'm going to have a glass of wine before yeah. I go. You're so right. Don't even get, <laughs> me and my sister have this joke with alcohol is the spirits. It's the devil. <laughs> so I used to work in the bar industry as well. Okay. Mm. So that's where I worked at Bull and Barrel for years. 
Mm. Um, and then like the weekend hospitality group, like, but I had never been more suicidal and never been more mentally unstable yeah. than when I was drinking regularly. Mm-hmm. And I never drank alone. I wouldn't say that I was an alcoholic, sure, but was sure. I drinking to black out? Absolutely. Yeah. Did I make every decision that I was not proud of and I carried shame for years? Did I make when I was under the influence of alcohol? <laughs> Sure did. Yeah. <laughs> right? Did I use alcohol at a very young age, mixed it in with drugs, and was I a hot mess express in mm-hmm. and out of the hospital? All these diagnoses, sure did. Mm. Cut out alcohol, and I still drink. Like, tonight I'm going to go to Vito's, I'll have a glass of wine. Sure. But am I going to pound down drinks to get blackout yeah. like I did before or add drugs into the mix? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. I always, like, joke, and I'm like, am I mentally ill? Or did I just use drugs and alcohol that made me mentally ill? <laughs> it's a little bit of both, sure. you know? And I'll yeah. find a lot of us, if we struggle with um, anxious attachment I find that it's exasperated when alcohol is in the mix Mm. so when we start texting our exes Mm -hmm. when we start texting our sneaky links when we start posting for validation directly correlated with that alcohol there's so much that I could talk about with alcohol I just I'm just so glad that you're like speaking these things that I have known and and it's like it's not mind-blowing because you know it it feels like it just unlocks something in you and again it's not that I'm saying I believe that I need to stop alcohol right now but I definitely am now trying to better understand the role that it has in my life and, and the, the role use. in the people that I care about. Yes. Yes. And also pay attention to who you're connecting over alcohol Oh with. my God. Don't get me yeah, Right. So, right. Is your friendship based on partying and going out, right? And it's yes. okay to have a couple of those friends for sure. And right. But do you only connect when you are partying or drinking? Yeah. Right? Yes. Is that an authentic, is that a surface level friend or is that a friend that you can, right? You can count on. Exactly. Yes, a real friend. And I mean, honestly, this conversation is also happening because my best friend and I have been doing, we both are single at the same time. So yes. we've been doing a lot of going out, drinking yes. and whatever. Yes. And then it took for, a couple back-to-back instances of bad stuff happening yes. for us to look at each other and say, we don't want to do this anymore because you care about me too much and I care about you too much. And this is not our environment. Yes. This isn't. Yes. This can't be our best moments. You no. know what I mean? And like that was a really hard thing too. Over the summer, this is the big nasty thing that's happened that I've been like kind of avoiding talking about. I'm in a better place now. I was seeing somebody who is a bartender who is very much an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Not even in a... Well, of course he's drinking, he's a bartender kind of way, like in a hurtful way, yes. in a way that hurts the people around him, yes. in a way that drags other people into it. Yes, It was tough, and so seeing that, being so closely intertwined in that, and then getting out of it, and looking back on it, and again saying, what was alcohol's role in all of this? And it just blows my mind because I had all of this like false hope about how he would be if he yes. wasn't. And we made, uh, Vanessa and I made this joke, this friend that I'm talking about, we made this joke on the podcast and it's not funny, but it was just, I always would joke and say that I want somebody with resilience in them, like somebody who's like a recovered drug addict. Like, you know, they've got resilience in them. It's not a joke and I understand that now, but looking back, I was like, why did I think that that was going to be a thing? And let me ask you, Tori, okay, not to no, like put you on the spot, but do you think there was an authentic connection there? Or do you think it was developed through alcohol? Like even like that loosey-goosey, like yeah. a couple of drinks, the, the, the conversation starts flowing easier. You go visit him at work. You're getting sure. that attention. Sure. Then you come home from work. You guys have a couple of drinks. Yeah, it was. So there, there was a lot of things in the mix of that and it took to get out of it to realize like how big alcohol was yes how big it he depends on it so how much of him was that um how he was the most him when he was drunk and how I was starting Ah. to feel that way too it trickled down into other things too where I we would just be doing whatever and I would be like I am never going to feel more alive than this even now when I think back to it and so much has happened and there's so many awful terrible things that I found out post us being over which was really hard but I've now 
realized and acknowledged that I only ever miss him, quote unquote, in my low moments. It's when I have like the FOMO where I'm like, I'm not doing enough. Like I'm, I feel like I'm less than. That's the only time because then I think back to like, when did I feel good? Oh, I felt good when we were doing blah, 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 or I was with this guy. But it was terrible. Yes. It was terrible. It was constant anxiety. I know the cortisol levels were high all the time and all of this anxiety. And it's just so interesting. It was a shortish amount. I mean, it was like six months, we'll say, maybe a little less than that. But it was just so many lessons, so many awful things packed into such a short amount of time that yes. now I'm unpacking and now I'm understanding. And alcohol, it's its really made me kind of see it in a new light. And it's like, okay, calling someone an alcoholic isn't like this funny anecdote anymore. No, like, it's not just it's like, not. A, this is somebody who likes to have fun. She's such an alcoholic. Like, that's not, it's not what it is to me anymore. No. And it, it takes being close to it, I guess, maybe to really understand it. But for me, at least, I don't functioning know. Functioning alcoholism is also a thing where you can go and you can have a couple of drinks a night, right? And you're maybe drinking more than average, and but you're also getting to work the next day. Or you're yeah. drinking with somebody, so it's fine, right? It's all about your relationship with it as well yeah. and um it's it's just what are you using whatever substance for right yeah. it's not about like what is it it's what are you using that substance for yeah and again working in the bar industry as well it's very glamorized right you're mm. gonna have a shot with your patron you're gonna have a shot with your customer you're sure. gonna have a drink you're gonna be you flirt better your your sales are better you're more, you're more bold right yeah all of this stuff you know when likely I, to dance <laughs> oh my god yeah when I worked and you know I was um the position I don't even know if it's there anymore but it was like the marketing and reservation manager but I did like I went around and really engaged people. Mm -hmm. So I was on the floor in normal clothing, but the position started out as I was just drinking. Like Mm -hmm. I was drinking, connecting with people, taking their picture, making sure they're having a good time. So I knew every Wednesday that I could drink, but then it turned into, oh, I do such a better job when I'm drinking, right? Mm -hmm. And it turned into, do I want to start drinking? Do I want to put something in my cup, right? And I'm not going to lie, a couple of times there was some drinking behind the scenes that my managers were not aware of. And Eva, Luke, if you're listening to this, you are the the reason (laughs) I'm in my position I am today. I love you guys. But I'm sure you're not unaware of these things. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, and then I was chronically suicidal, right? Mm -hmm. Am I chronically suicidal? Or is it because I was engaging in, you know, drinking alcohol, which is a depressant. And it makes us feel depressed for three days post-op. Yeah, and your sleep is terrible. Oh my God, the nightmares. Yeah. Let oh. alone all the stuff that you might have oh, done that it makes you feel takes, shame. It takes 90 days for our brain to reset back to homostasis after drinking alcohol. Whoa. All of those neurochemicals to 90 reset. 90 days. days. So a month and a half, essentially. Uh. Or wait. A month, three months, two months. That's, a, that's 30, 60, 90. Three months. Three months. That's three, three months. months. Three months. Three months. I that's yeah. Like gum in your system. Yes. <laughs> like I was following a sober, curious um, therapist, and she talks a lot about it. But ninety days. Wow. Right. So that's pretty ludicrous. That is okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad we talked about that because now I have so much to think about. And uh, you know what? I want to wrap it up with just saying to somebody, okay? So saying if you're if you're curious about your relationship with alcohol, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to go totally yeah. sober, right? Yeah. But I also think looking at someone's addiction and framing it as to, okay, it's not why the addiction, it's why the pain. Mm-hmm. And also, you're pretty resourceful. You knew that you had to continue surviving. Mm-hmm. You found the substance that allowed you to survive. Yeah. But you've moved past that so let's work through that and let's find you know let's let's get you into a better headspace you know let's let's not use a substance anymore and that's hard for some people but 
really addiction is resourceful. People know they need to survive. How are they going to do it? How are they going to do sex work? How are they going to deal with being trafficked? How are they going to deal with their severe childhood trauma? How are they going to deal with that work stress? Just because someone picks up a glass of wine and someone picks up a needle, one's more socially acceptable, but the pain is still there. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) you know, and like if someone's been affected by addiction, I always want to tread lightly because I can never speak to having, you know, someone close to me or a parent or caregiver that has chosen drugs or alcohol. You know, I say that in quotations, chosen over their family because there are times where it can be incredibly hurtful to watch a loved one choose a substance. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to really tread lightly when I say that. But I think looking at it in a different light can be very beneficial in some ways. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff, though, to say that just so much of what we, the conversations that we have around addiction and drug use and unhoused people and all of this kind of stuff, it's just kind of all centers around, like, this idea that there's selfishness, that there's helplessness, that there's choices, that there's this and that. And I, it's never really been something that I, a conversation that I agree with or, I don't know, want to partake in even because it's it's just, there's so many layers to it. Everything is so complex and who is anybody to say anything about a situation that how could anybody understand it's all, and this stuff is so isolating too it's so, so isolating and you know on that note I used to work at a um, a residential home here in Windsor and it was for adults with serious persistent mental health I think I talked about it before but our residents were very lucky to get a bed in our facility mm-hmm. um, it you know it was pretty it was pretty affordable a month but we had a massive wait list and now I live in downtown Windsor and I'm always petrified to see one of my past residents perhaps mm-hmm. on the street because mm-hmm. they lost their housing in that place because mm-hmm. of their behavior or because of whatever yeah. and I'm petrified because they were the most beautiful people I've ever met. Professors who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia and really mm. struggling, like very highly educated, successful people yeah, yeah. who through their years, unfortunately their trauma got the best of them yeah. or they made a wrong choice here or there and they could end up on the streets. And really yeah. we're all, and you know, it's just my favorite is when there was like ignorant people I was around who partied every weekend, who mm-hmm. had no problem staying awake for 48 hours on a cocaine binge. But the way they spoke about homeless people mm-hmm. was, and I'm like, the only thing that's different between you and him is your mommy and daddy's money yes the reason why you're not right you can you don't have to pay bills you just have to fund your drug use right Mm. and you can go back to mommy and daddy's house these people don't have mommy and daddy and they're Mm. trying to fill a void so how can you sit there and sip your glass of wine to relieve that pain or stress from that day and sit there and outwardly judge another human on the street that's using a substance that that is not as socially acceptable yeah and this you know what if anyone's (laughs) listening to this and feeling a little bit triggered i just want to say that that's okay yeah you know your experience is valid you might have somebody close to you that has put you through hell and back and i'm never pushing my opinion onto you sure sure. so if anyone is listening to this and not necessarily agreeing i hear you yeah your your experience is unique and i never want to push mine onto you but this is just the way that i view it in relation to helping people struggling with addiction because it can be very compassion led and i think that's what people need to hear sure and uh, you know what that's actually actually um, going to segue into the question that I have for you about you in a second but what I I don't want to say the difference between maybe someone like you or I and I'm not saying this in like a superior kind of way I mean but knowing that you can be wrong accepting that not sticking to everything that you've been taught everything you've said before or anything like that being able to say that this is what I believe in this moment you are a person who also has your own experiences, yes. your life and your whatever, because I, and I've said this before on the podcast, and again, I'm not saying this in like a, I'm better than everybody kind of way, but I am never going to hate somebody who I've never met, apart from Donald Trump, but that is separate. <laughs> that is, he's in his own league, and that's different. Yes. And even that, I, I'm unfortunately, and I've always been this person, even as a kid, and I'm trying to 
especially the situation with the alcoholic and his love, that really kind of put things into perspective, but I'm almost compassionate, empathetic to a fault. I want to understand why the cannibal ate the people. Yes. I want to make, I want to know. It drives me crazy, the whole Dahmer thing about how his real trauma was finding out that his, his sister was his mom. I'm like, that's not enough. There's got to be something else there. I know we're missing something, guys, but like, uh, who am I? I just, there's a, a, an element, and it's something that I do appreciate in myself, but it's also something that I'm trying to learn to fine tune because yes. I make Boundaries. excuses for people. Boundaries. Boundaries, I know, and I'm yes. learning. I have a really hard time hating people. I, even people who are adamantly doing, want bad for me, who are doing wrong things to me, I have a very hard time even acknowledging that I don't enjoy somebody, that I don't like somebody. I'm a chronic pl people pleaser. I know this. <laughs> I'm working on it. But that was going to segue into my next question because just this whole idea that I like talking to people who I know aren't hard-headed in that regard, mm -hmm. who know that the human experience is complex yes. and human emotions are complex. And I appreciate the people in my life like this. So what made you, we're going to turn this right around on you, what made you, because you mentioned this when we did the group thing and you've said this now, um, you said that people who might have known you before would be surprised or are surprised or maybe judgmental that this is the path that you've taken with your life. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, growing up, like I said, high school, I was a little bit of a hot mess express, went through <laughs> it all. Like, you know, drugs, alcohol, eating disorder, self-harm, suicidality, mm -hmm. all of those things didn't make for a very stable human. Mm -hmm. And I was always very kind. I was always, the you know, quite popular, mm -hmm. um, but I was popular through partying, yeah. you know, and I was always very empathetic, though. Like, there's so many stories that I could talk about, like, you know, sitting on the side of the road with a gentleman that my mom called me and was like, you need to get here right now. There's a gentleman and he's having an anxiety attack where mm. I literally drove there and sat with him on the side of the road yeah. or like broke up a fist fight in the middle of the EC row. That was sure. a good time. But like as you were a kid, did this kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Like I always connected. Well, it kind of stemmed back to my dad, right? Always we include everybody. Everybody deserves a chance. So yeah. when I was allowed to have parties, it was that's fine, but everyone needs to be invited. Everybody oh. gets an invite. Yeah. yeah. So super empathetic. Mm -hmm. um, but I went through my own mental health journey and I also realized how much you can change through neuroplasticity through having the right people in your life through taking care of yourself mm -hmm. through exercise eating properly mm -hmm. taking your medication if that's the route you're taking you sure. know seeking therapy seeking support looking at your behavior mm -hmm. you know and taking straight accountability for that behavior when you were hurting and you know and trauma-informed care too is not like oh everything's excusable it's more so of like okay let's look at that behavior there's reasons behind it sure. but let's also modify it to better suit you and the yeah. people around you but sorry going back to my question with myself I'm sure there was people that I hurt while I was in survival mode. There's people that come to mind that I know that I've hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and there's people that probably don't have the best impression of me. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I say that after 700 therapy sessions of tears <laughs> and like, oh, I just want to quit, shame, you know, and knock shame, on wood. Shame, shame, the, shame. Oh, my God, the shame, the shame in my chest. And if you're someone who struggles with shame, you feel that kind of like in your sternum, in your chest, stomach. in your belly, right? Yeah, my diaphragm area yes. feels like a drop when you realize, when you really have to come face to face. But, with something that you feel real deep, true shame about. But how can I sit on the other side of trauma survivors and some of the most successful, amazing, beautiful people and say, it's going to be okay if I hadn't gone through it myself? Yeah, yeah. How can I do that? I believe that, 100%. Right? Like, how can I sit there and say, I know what that feels like. No, truthfully, I do. And like, to discretion, right? Like, you know, like, but, you're not demeaning. <laughs> right, you know, but how can I instill hope in people that it does get better if I've never gone through it myself? Yeah. 
That's true. I, I used to, I remember saying this like really young too. My grandfather committed suicide wow. when I was like three or something like that. I say it like, I don't remember it is what I mean. But my mom was in her early 30s, I guess she would have been. And so just mental health in general and just the conversation around like your mental well-being has never really been a taboo thing per That's se. That's amazing. Though. It is. And I'm very lucky. And so I'm lucky, but I also remember being aware of this stuff really, really young. Yes. And also being the youngest of a wide array of sisters who had many a struggle. Yes. <laughs> very different uh, people we all are. Um, all of that, I remember very young saying and, and going through my own little, I say little, it wasn't little. Like, I remember being suicidal in, in yeah. grade school. Great. Like, yes, I, I, I remember um, learning about what it meant to cut yourself and then trying it yeah. when I felt down or something yes. like that. That kind of stuff, it's, it's important. But I remember saying to somebody like somebody who just didn't get why I was so angsty or something. And I I remember saying like, you just, you don't know what low is. Anybody's low is until you've been low. Until you've been low. Yeah. Like rock bottom is, gives you all the perspective, right? Even though it was 12. (laughs) But you know, at the, at the moment that's rock bottom for your 12 year old life. (laughs) 110%. And you know, going back to that question, like I am very proud because I feel like I did have a pretty core character, like even working at Bull, like it was so funny. I was going through my old Facebook. I was like, I was always a people person, Mm -hmm. like through my different work avenues, like while in school, like working in the bar industry, I've always been really good at building connections. And through my working experience, I've always like built really good connections. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, But yeah, some people probably see me still as the bull and bear girl who was you know (laughs) drinking in a party or some people may see me as that broken high school version of Bianca and you know the people that have done the work themselves though might see me as the person who has grown into somebody who wants to truly make a difference and the people closest to me they they've seen the change and sometimes I don't believe in the change like I'm Mm -hmm. like holy shit like who am I like Mm -hmm. you know and I've worked damn hard to get here though I've journaled I've sat in the grass I've sat in front of that mirror and faced every single demon that I have and I'm still working on mm-hmm. it I've sat in front of a therapy room I've been to a hypnotherapist while I've cried in the fetal position on the floor mm. you know I've connected with like-minded people I've worked my ass off to get here yeah, per yeah. se you know but I wouldn't have never taken away my struggles because without those struggles I would never have the drive to get here and my client yeah he actually said to me without the scarcity I would never have the desire for abundance mm. and he is about to launch a multi-million dollar company oh, oh, yeah sure. so and I yeah I know and I he does he always says to me I'm gonna be the next Elon Musk and he's from India and I love him so much and if you're listening to this I hope you hear me quote you that's pure um, that is pure I love but, it but yeah and I think without the struggle how would I have ever found my strength yeah how would have I have ever found my strength in my view of the mental health system sure. without going through it myself sure. and a desire to make a change without knowing what we could do for yeah. these people yeah you know well this is I mean like I talked to my counselor and her name is Wendy again love her and I'm always like what are you what, what's going on with you Wendy like what have you been through in this like, and, and she never says like well from what I know from experience she just she lays out the facts and, and yes. the questions and the whatever and I'm like and I always want to say am I your favorite patient because I'm probably <laughs> one of the least problematic ones and that's what I say but what do I really know do I walk in and you're like this bitch again I, I'm always curious about this so this is very refreshing to talk to somebody who's willing to talk about yes. their experience but I will say too what I have learned the people who see you for what you were at a bad point and are adamant on keeping you there in their mind, they're not worth it anyway. Like, they're not, it's not, that's not the stuff that I hold on to anymore. Like, there was a moment when I, I've been on, like, this shame journey since of the course. beginning of the pandemic. Brene Brown, my girl, the yes, gifts of imperfection, yes, that's yes, my shit. Yes, <laughs> that was, like, yes, my Bible for the yes. beginning of the pandemic. Um, so that 
whole concept, when you start like really digging into shame and I was really realizing I was doing awful things to avoid feeling shame and yes. acknowledging the stuff that I've done, yes. whether it was through alcohol, through, I don't know, just like diversion in general yeah. or refusing to like talk to people, acknowledge that I had caused anybody pain. Yeah. But like when you actually sit back and start to do it, it's extremely uncomfortable. Oh my God. It's yeah. awful. And it's a lifelong journey too. And that's what I was going to say too, is that part of wanting to be in a, a more evolved person and being understanding and being interested in this kind of stuff is acknowledging that this is a forever thing. This isn't just that you yes. do it once you get over it. The, the beginning of it is the hardest part, we'll say. And the same thing with shame is, is getting this going was really hard. And I remember laying in bed one night and just randomly this thought popped into my head. It, it was just like clear as day memory. I was on the school bus and we had, I, I again, I come from the county and we had one person in my entire grade school which was small but one person whose mom was Asian is Asian his mom is Asian and I remember repeating something that I had heard maybe one of my older sister's friends say or something like that maybe something on SNL like like yep, just something yep. like that but repeating it and I remember being like reprimanded for it in the moment which was good in retrospect um but this was like last year we'll say I just remembered it and I shot up in bed and went like immediately felt that stomach diaphragm mm -hmm. drop feeling like I all of a sudden I feel like I'm the worst person in the world I was seven eight we'll say but thinking back to it and I know the person who I said it to I know he's doing great now I just distinctly remember this whether he remembers it or not but knowing now being in that space in this space now if he were to approach me and say I don't like you because you said this in grade school that is my that's my burden to bear. Yes, and yes. I, I'm, I, the old me would argue that and say, "Well, what the fuck? I was this yes, age, and I heard yes. it from here." Blah blah blah. No, that is my now thing to hold on to, and that's part of acknowledging and, and facing your shame. And it's a, a hard fucking thing oh to do. Oh my god! But it was. It's just an example of like something that just it clicked, and it was just so like sudden and abrupt. And I went, "This is an exact example of the kind of things that I know I need to do." And I have full faith in the fact that it's going to keep happening. I have full faith that the stuff that I've done yesterday and in, in three years is going to pop up. Like you have to Reflect. know that that comes with becoming a better person. And how will you ever change your future behavior and become the person you want to be without that ability to reflect? Yeah. We are not perfect humans. It's yeah. all about reflecting on that, right? Like a mistake is not a mistake until it's made twice. And yeah. it might, you know what, and I shouldn't even say that because it might be three or four times you make sure. the same mistake, but it's about showing up better and at least trying, right? Yeah. And if you're someone who's struggling with looking at your past behavior, I want you to know that some of the things that we do in survival mode doesn't I guess, reflect our core character. Yeah. However, we have to look at it and take accountability, but we can also work through these things. Mm -hmm. You know, like I have a lot of, I, I've engaged in so many behaviors, being the side chick, doing this, doing mm -hmm. that, right? Like, and I say that, you know, that's super vulnerable for me, but I was so young. I was so, so young, sure. but I was craving love for wherever I could get it, right? And I'm yeah. sure a lot of us have gone through that, right? Yeah. We crave that external validation and it, we're not thinking about who we're hurting in the process. Yep. So, and that's <laughs> like, that's a big one for me. Um, and it sits on me, you know, and, but you know what? Again, if those people want to hold on to that version, we just have to accept that. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Wendy. <laughs> Shout out Wendy for the 300th time. She said something to me uh, the most recent time I talked to her when we went through all of this um, kind of big stuff that had just happened. Um, she said something to me about how, and I wrote it down too. I was with her. I was like, I just need one second. I need to get my pen out and I need to write it down. She said something about the, everybody has this little voice in you. And the more you ignore it, the quieter it gets until one day it's just not there. And I 
remember, now I've said this to multiple people, I'm like, hey, when you ignore what you know is wrong and you just keep going forward, it's going to stop. You're just at one point, and it's not to say you have no conscience, but it's to say that it it stops being it's, a guiding factor. Yeah, it's also your intuition too, yeah, right? It's that a, too. It's yeah. your intuition, right? And so if we, we just call it the little voice. <laughs> I know, of course. I love that. I absolutely love that. It, you know what? It keeps you on track for perhaps the person you'd like to be, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Okay, so I saw Shannon the other day. I was hanging out with Shannon. She says, hi. Hi. <laughs> um, she said something to me. She used a term that I had, I, I mean, everybody thinks about, but I just hadn't really, um, I didn't know there was a word for this. I always say it takes a very special kind of person to do the kind of stuff that you do. You, her, anybody who has a focus in mental health or is just trying to better the well-being of society in this way, in a very personal but universal way. That's how I feel it is, at least. She used the word vicarious trauma. And obviously, that is when you're in this position, you were with a client or whatever the situation may be, and you hear something or you are being told something that is traumatic to you, correct? Oh, my God. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So how is how do you combat this is this something you've experienced is it yes and i will say shannon has worked with first responders and what i could never do what i could never do what shannon does shannon hears probably the most horrific stories uh Mm -hmm. working with i have a couple first responders but (laughs) one of them i go how do you not take things home he goes well bianca i completely dissociate at work i don't even remember what happens and i was like well that definitely was developed in childhood i mean you're using it as your strength i love that so he's so funny but resourceful vicarious trauma is absolutely a thing and i think that the way that I need to be very mindful of this is one is Mm self-regulation being mindful of what my breathing is like and what my body posture is like while I'm sitting in front of a client I love it and there's something called co-regulation as well where that client will pick up on my nervous system state as well Mm -hmm. so if I'm tensing up and they can feel my heartbeat um, going rapidly they are going to mirror that Mm -hmm. unconsciously so part of being a trauma-informed therapist and a trauma therapist is really being mindful about your own self-regulation am I looking to play with my fingers am I freezing up and that's something so one that's in session two I have my own support I do seek uh, my own therapy weekly for any of those hard cases that kind of reflect my childhood or reflect something that is closer to me we lost um we lost somebody this year to a very unexpected overdose very 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 unexpectedly Mm -hmm. and I think actually unfortunately we've lost four counting on my hand like in my in my like close friend situation but the day after his funeral I went back to work and you know my client sat down and said my my brother almost overdosed on fentanyl last night and that is what unfortunately the the person Mm. that we lost overdosed on Mm. and of course that's not a that's not a time for me to be like whoa you'll never guess what I like of course right (laughs) but (laughs) I felt it all of a sudden I felt it come up and I just wanted to burst into tears and it took me like 30 seconds to like remove my shoulders down from my ears place my feet back on the floor and mm-hmm. like really breathe Browns. through that and yeah. and you know and, and I guess an example right I teach my clients these things and yeah. I, of course I didn't say to her oh I'm triggered but I just said you know I said that's heavy let's regulate together for a second right mm. and then we regulated together okay you know so but that's what I do in session two I really seek my own therapy Kelly shout out Kelly shout at out Fine Kelly. Counseling <laughs> I see her weekly um for all the deload too I also have a supervisor I work as well her mm. name is Erica anything that is quite heavy I will go to Erica, right? That's what she's there for. And Mm -hmm. we kind of go through together for also connecting with my friends and family, taking care of myself through the gym and through exercise, Mm -hmm. and also just really being mindful of my state of being. And also reminding myself that I cannot fix somebody, unfortunately. I'm there to hold their pain. And and I always like get into this, like, am I helping them enough? And I almost feel like I take on their pain sometimes. But then it's also like... 
somatic shaking it out. And I'm very spiritual as well. I see my psychic every four months where she yes. gives me Reiki cleansing as well or Reiki cleansing. Oh my God, I just butchered that. But Reiki, <laughs> right? And then I see my massage therapist who's also trained in Reiki. Mm-hmm. And we know that we carry stuff, emotions in yeah. our fascial. Human like, touch is very important. So really important. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot. And that's where I'm saying like, it's this isn't just a thing that you jump into. Like if yeah. you want to be a therapist, you have to be prepared for these things. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's so rewarding. It's so beautiful hearing a client just like cry tears of happiness to be validated and just say thank you yeah is all the validation I ever need to yeah. know that I am doing what I love and you know I'm doing the right thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah vicarious trauma first responders nurses a lot of my nurse a lot of the healthcare professionals through COVID oh gosh struggling with significant trauma vicarious trauma so no one's exempt from yeah. it I mean if you go out there Tori and you see a horrific car accident or mm-hmm. you hear about a horrific car accident based on your nervous system state based on how you are with coping with stress you can experience vicarious trauma. It's not just the helping professions. Sure. Really, anyone can be susceptible to it. It's essentially hearing about it or witnessing an event that you have not gone through. That is what vicarious trauma um, is kind of like defined as. Sure, sure. It's it's just so interesting. I assumed that there was something there and there are some kind of methods that are taught. But just when she said vicarious trauma and as, you know, that's the term, I was like, that just makes so much fucking sense. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, you're just putting, again, words to something that is a, a big thing in, in life. So. It's very, very interesting. And I truly, everything that all your your mechanisms for combating that are things that within the past couple, well, years, but like especially months, I'm more aware of the role on me. Like breath work, very, very important. Oh my God, breath work. I meditate. I love meditation. I preach meditation like I sell it at this point. Like I love it so much. And the way that it has just changed the way that I see the world yes. through such simple practice that is complicated but simple. Like it's it's simple. And the way I've connected with people where all these people who I'm like, I just find you so great. We end up finding out, oh, you also meditate. You know yes. what I mean? It's like, oh, you're also a Virgo. I get it. Yes. <laughs> that kind of thing. Shannon's a Virgo, right? Uh, yes, 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 she is, yes, yes, she is. Yes, she is. She did my whole uh, chart when she was here. It was fun. Um, no, but uh, and spirituality too, the role that that plays. Oh, my God. And trusting the universe. And, and lately it's been an obsession. And I even said this. Okay, actually, let's get heavy real quick. The last episode, full episode, which will be the one prior to this, prior to the group one, which was with Shannon. When I was talking to her, I kept talking about time. I'm like, there's something with timing. There is something going on where a lot of stuff seems to be happening. It's almost like things are lining up and I'm not realizing it and everything's getting knocked down at the same point. Not even bad, but good and bad. It's just, it's like all these big things are happening on a clock, on a schedule that I'm not aware of. And as a Virgo, that pisses me off. But (laughs) that, and and I remember talking to her and I kept saying, and I listened back to the episode, of course, many times since, and I was like, I'm on the precipice of something. There's change happening and I need to work at it. I need to figure it out. And then I had a major breakdown over the period of about, about a month. Yes. And then I remember I was journaling and I was writing it down. I'm like, something is happening. I want change. And then it took until... The new year, it took until January for me to actually want to start doing this stuff again, to want to start connecting with people again, to stop isolating myself, to finally start talking about the shit that was going on. It took for that for me to go, okay, timing, yes, but you can't force change like that. Because what I was 
trying to tune into was not something that you can plan for. And that's something that I'm trying to acknowledge and understand and tap more into the spirituality and the meditation and the this and the that. And a lot of the people, again, that I'm connecting with, I am finding also have these kind of similar views. Alignment. So I practice and I want to do a whole episode on alignment, though, and tell you about how I got to my journey. Because if you know, my traditional schooling is not traditional. It's not traditional. I don't I didn't go to school for a master's degree. So how am I counseling? How am I practicing therapy as a certified clinical trauma specialist Mm -hmm. is very unique alignment every single experience that I've had up every single job experience even though it was at McDonald's or Bull and Barrel Mm -hmm. has taught me entrepreneurship has taught me how to open up my own business and successfully like people skills and like even though like the business side of it as well like it's just it's crazy alignment and all of these times I was like oh my god I'm working three jobs I'm working 24 hours I went from midnights to days and I'm working part-time this isn't even where I want to be led me to exactly where I needed to be Mm -hmm. it's I (laughs) have never been more spiritual um you know then through my own journey and I also realized that again I could not do the work that I do without going through it myself that wouldn't be fair to the people I serve how can I sit on this side and tell you I know what I'm talking about when I haven't essentially gone through it you know yep so spirituality huge i'd love to do like a whole episode on you even are welcome just back that. anytime believe it's, me <laughs> it's amazing and i it's just so amazing especially yeah. for healing too right to, to know that there's something bigger out there if religion mm-hmm. doesn't resonate with you to know that there is a higher power out there sure. to give up that trust sense of control and that trust yes. to know that you're being taken care of yeah. you got to put in the work yeah. but you to know that is very comforting in itself yeah that's a form of prayer in itself oh and i've God, said this course. many times especially with meditation i was like i i love to you know, jokingly talk shit about the Catholic Church or do, you know, whatever and, and rant. But at the end of the day, I meditate and that is a form of prayer. Like, Absolutely. That's how I see it. I don't, I'm not ever talking down on religion as an entire concept, but maybe some specific actions. But that's a, that's for another time. Absolutely. But yeah. Okay. So we are killing it. Again, you are welcome back anytime. I have, this is indefinite. Like, uh, this is back and it's back forever as far as I'm concerned. So I am very happy and I'm very happy that you were able to come today. Thank you. Yes, and that we could do this because even the little conversation we had, I'm like, there's so much more here. I, I know. know it. I, every <laughs> like, time I film with someone, like a podcast, they'll ask me a question. I'll go off on a tangent. Yeah. They're like, okay, okay, you can come back. But like, you <laughs> we know, have to reach I, back. I no, know. I think this was perfect. This was the perfect flow. Everything here was great. I, I know you have, first of all, I want people to know how they can find you. Sure. Um, but also whatever it is that you would like to end with because I feel like you've got this in the bag. <laughs> so I guess that anyone that listened thus far, I need you to know that you're human. It's okay to be human and that every single thing from the moment you were in your mother's stomach in utero has shaped the way that you see yourself. Mm-hmm the world you navigate relationships and essentially it, it, it shows up in your everyday functioning i need you to know that you're not broken you're mm-hmm. not disordered you're not sick i mean you know you're not sick you're not you know you're not a dsm-5 diagnosis you are a human who is experiencing hormonal and emotional changes yeah. due to the changes in your physiology there are ways and there's people that understand this you can become the person you want to become it's okay to look at the deep dark and heavy stuff and if you're experiencing addiction I need you to remove that shame, and I hope that you find someone out there that you can connect with. It doesn't have to be a therapist. Whether it's a healer, a person, a friend, you deserve that, and your inner child deserves that as well. <laughs> and you can find me on my Instagram is MindfullyMe. My website is www.mindfullyme.ca, um, and my first and last name is Bianca Stefina. But yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Psychology Today as well. I do have a little bit of a wait list right now, but I do do group coaching mm. to kind of get my information out there at a very affordable rate. So definitely check out my website, check out my Instagram, connect <laughs> with me. But I really appreciate you all listening today and I hope that you took something from this. Uh, Perfect. 
You nailed it. Thank <laughs> you, you nailed it. That was perfect. Thank you. That was really, truly perfect. Thank you for listening once again. I'm so happy to be back. I will see you in two weeks on March 23rd. <laughs>